That's all right. Let me fix this bad boy. How's that right there? Amen. You know, my wife and I, we were coming in. Um, we had just crossed from New Mexico to Texas, and uh, I got pulled over, you know, Texas cop, you know, and uh, I'm very respectful to police officers now, amen, and <clears throat> so he, but this was, I got to share this with you, because this was a mind blower. We get pulled over, and you know, I might have been doing about three or four, maybe five over, okay, and uh, but you know, nothing serious. So he pulls me over, and this guy is huge, man. He's way bigger than Pastor Blake. I don't know where they breed these guys, amen? <laughs> but he pulls me over, and, uh, and he starts asking me questions. Where are you going, and what are you doing? And I told him, you know, I was coming to, I just told him I'm going to church. I'm a pastor. I'm going to go preach at a friend of mine's church. And, he, and I said, what church? I said, Victor World Outreach. He goes, why don't you get out of the car and tell me about your church? So I said, oh, Okay. So I get out of the car, and then he says, why don't you come back to my car? And then he opens up, and, and he gets me in the car, man. He takes me in his car, yeah. So we're sitting in the front seat, shotguns right by my head, and, and uh, he gets on his computer, and he starts asking me all these questions. And, uh, and at first, I'm like, what did I do, you know? I mean, does he think I'm a drug cartel? I don't know what he was thinking. And then he starts asking me questions. What about your church? What do you do? And I told him a little bit about Breakaway, and... Uh, all of a sudden, he says to me, he says, okay, he said, let's pretend that I'm a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic. I want you to preach to me and tell me how do I get clean. And, he, and he's asking me to preach to him. Wow. And so I started telling him, and then I told him about the cross and, and that we preach Christ and him crucified. And then I started telling him my, my testimony. And he asked me, how long have you been married? He's asking me questions like a border patrol agent. Amen. He's, he's asking me, how long have I been married? How long have I been in church? How did I get clean? What did, how did God do that? Um, what do you preach to these people? You give them hope, don't you? Yeah, we give them hope. And for 20 minutes, he had me in his car asking me about Jesus and asking me about all these things and asking me how long I've been married. And your wife really stayed with you that long. And, and, uh, and uh, I mean, this guy was a trip and uh, I didn't know what was going on. I thought he was setting me up. You know, I mean, I had this mentality, but all he wanted to do was just talk to me and ask me questions. And, and then he's, as he's doing the computer, he says, how many times you've been arrested? I, said, I don't remember. Uh, I, I said, but it's mostly just stuff related to alcohol, you know, stupid things. Everybody does stupid things when they drink him. And, and uh, and then in the end, he, he has me sign something, just gives me a warning. I, I got the warning in my pocket right here. He gave me this warning, and then, and then he shook my hand. And uh, see, that's it right there. Actually, I thought he was an angel, amen? Because uh, all he did, he, all he wanted to talk to me about the whole 20 minutes, he wanted to know about Jesus. And, um, and then... I shook his hand and I went back to the car and, you know, for about 10 minutes, I didn't know what, I didn't know what was going on. I was just thinking about him. And then we went up the road just a little bit further and there was a fatal accident, like not five miles in front of us. There was a car that was flipped over. There was all these people that were there. And I thought, man, this guy kept me from that accident, man. That was, that was amazing. But uh, I know, I know Pastor Blake didn't want to embarrass my wife, but I will. Where's my wife at? Oh, there's that, there's that beautiful thing. Stand up, baby. Yeah. 
We've been married. We've been married now for 30. September 1st will be 30 years we've been married. Amen. So, and just so you want to, just because you're probably wondering, how old is this guy? Amen. 55. I'll be 55 in June. 55. Amen. So you, you don't have to get old. Amen. You just, I don't, I'm not, I just, I just needed to refire. Amen. So we just refire, me and my wife. Amen. We're excited. We actually, yesterday, we drove all the way to Tyler, Texas. Anybody ever been to Tyler, Texas? Man, Tyler, Texas is not even Texas. It's another country. Amen. I couldn't believe the people there. You know, it was a trip. The whole feel of that city is different. We need to plant a church there. Amen. Amen. And uh, I mean, there was people speaking uh, uh, Cajun French or whatever. And we ate some barbecue. That's a great city. Amen. That's a great city. And we talked about that city, huh? Amen. Who knows what the Lord will do, huh? Amen. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And I got, I got a little video clip I want to show you. I want to minister to you tonight on a message I've entitled, Don't Let the Dream Die. And I want to talk about famous failures. Amen. Maybe these, some of these people, you didn't know that they went through what they went through. After being cut from his high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. He wasn't able to speak until he was almost four years old, and his teachers said he would never amount to much. Was demoted from her job as a news anchor because she wasn't fit for television. Fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. At age 11, he was cut from his team after being diagnosed with a growth hormone deficiency, which made him smaller in stature than most kids his age. At 30 years old, he was left devastated and depressed after being unceremoniously removed from the company he started. A high school dropout whose personal struggles with drugs and poverty culminated in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. A teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything and that he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Rejected by Decca Recording Studios who said, we don't like their sound, they have no future in show business. His first book was rejected by 27 publishers. His fiancée died, failed in business, had a nervous breakdown and was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, You've never tried anything new. Amen. Now we know most of, a lot of those people aren't saved, and nobody here wants to be Eminem. Amen. But 
But the fact of the matter is that everybody needs a dream. Everybody needs to have a vision, especially if you're a believer. If you're saved and you're in this place, God has something for your life. We know that, right? God has a plan for your life. He has something he wants you to do. I think, but one of the hardest things with Americans, and especially in this generation, is for people to actually uh, come to the conclusion that God wants to do something in my life. God wants to use my life. We always say, well, God will use that person over there or that one over there. They're more talented. They're smarter. They have a better personality or they're taller. Amen. But, but God has something very special for every single person. When we look in Joel uh, chapter 2, Verse 28, I don't hear no pages turning, so y'all must already be there, right? Okay, I'm just checking. Here's what he says. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And all my men servants and all my maidservants I'll pour out of my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth and blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into the blood before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. Verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever had a dream or a vision or had something that you wanted to do? Maybe when you were coming up. You had something that maybe you, you saw somebody uh, involved in some kind of an area of life. Maybe they were successful in business or they had something they were doing. You, I want to do that. I want to be like that. And you had this dream, but it seems like life took its twists and turns. And, and you had this setback and that setback and this happened. And it's like sometimes we take our dreams, we take our visions, and we take those things that we really want to do in life and we put them up on a shelf. Sometimes we just put them behind the door and we never look back. But I'm here to tell you there are God-given dreams, there are God-given visions that God wants to give every single person in this room right now. And I want to tell you, it doesn't make, listen, there's some people that probably think tonight or this morning that, that you know, what God has for me to do isn't as important as, say, Pastor Blake or isn't as important maybe as Pastor Jones. But man, I'm here to tell you, man, in the plan of God, the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You might be surprised what God has for you to do. You might be surprised at the things that God wants to do. But you know, in the natural, some of the things that we dream about, I used to have all these dreams about doing, I, I, I really like sports. Obviously, I couldn't play basketball. I was just a little too short. Obviously, I couldn't play football. I was a little too small. But everybody has a dream. I wanted to do things. I, li I like sports. I like anything physical. So as a kid, I put all my efforts into the wrong areas. Amen. How many ever been there? Amen. And we put our efforts in the wrong areas. And, and I had all these visions and dreams. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I ever told you this. But when I got out, of, got out of high school, I was getting ready to go to college, and uh, some guy approached me. He was from, uh, I don't know if anybody knows who Willie Shoemaker was. He was an old jockey back in the 70s. Some guy made millions of dollars, right? Well, one of his guys, one of his guys, my mom was a friend of his, and he came to, from Los Angeles to Northern California to come talk to me about training me to be a jockey. I got offended. Amen? So I ain't going to be no jockey. What do I want to be a jockey for? Amen? Little people are jockeys. I'm not a little person. Amen. And I, I never did it, but I'm glad I did, and I probably wouldn't have met my wife. But you know, sometimes those dreams, there's things in life that we want to see happen. You know, maybe you've prayed for a baby, or you've prayed, God, give me a husband or a wife, or you're believing God to start your own business, your own business, your own business with your name on it. Amen. 
Or maybe you've prayed, you know, that backslidden teenager hasn't come back. And you've prayed and you prayed, you fasted, you did all the things that you're supposed to do. And you're like, God, where are you at? You said you'd come and you, and you know, the Bible says that, that if, uh, if we raise our kids up in church, that they're going to stay in church. Amen. And so we've had a lot of things happen in life. If I went around this room and I asked people, Steven Spielberg could make a movie out of your life. Amen. With all the things that have happened, many of the setbacks and the failures and the things that have happened. Maybe you've prayed for revival. I want to tell you, if you've been saved any length of time and you love the Lord, you've prayed for revival. You know, nobody in this place, as a matter of fact, I don't see too many people that are over 80, amen, but I want to tell you something. Nobody in this room has actually truly experienced a real revival. Maybe they got the tail end of it because, uh, because a real revival, a true revival, if you were a part of a revival like that, like the Azusa Street Revival, the, vo the revivals of the 40s and the 50s, where millions of people were being saved, it would, it would rock your world. You'd be a different person. I, I, I pray, I pray all the time. I say, God, I want to be a part of a revival. I want in my lifetime to see God pour his power out. And not only in my life, but in my city, in my nation, in the world. I want to see God do it. The other day, Pastor Jones was um, talking about revival. And he said something that kind of shocked me. He said, you know, many times we're praying. We're saying, God, give us revival. And we want a revival like maybe they had when Evan Roberts was around in the 1800s, 1900s. We want a revival like they had in the 1940s where they uh, put tents up and prayed for the sick and went all across the country and saw millions of people healed and delivered and saved. But he says, God always does things that, that shock us, that surprise us, amen? So the next revival you and I see is ain't gonna be probably the way we want it to be and it's probably not gonna be uh, when we want it to be. But I'm here to tell you, God's gonna pour out his power in these last days because he said it in Joel. He said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said, your sons and daughters are gonna prophesy. He said, us old men are gonna dream dreams and us young men are gonna see visions, amen? I stand on that promise. I wanna see God do it. But what happens, the point that I wanna make here this morning is this, what happens when we've prayed about something? We've tried to believe God for something. I mean, we've done everything we think we, we need to do to see that happen, whether it's revival, whether it's any of the things I talked about, or just some dream God's given you, some vision that God's given you. Did you know in the process of times, uh, the process of time, sometimes that dream seems farther and it goes farther and farther away. In other words, the farther it gets, the less zeal we possess. The farther away it gets, the less urgency we feel about it. I mean, at one time, I, know, I, I knew a lot of guys, man, they were so excited to be saved. It didn't matter what the pastor asked them to do. They would have cleaned the toilets. They would vacuum. They'd go anywhere. They'd do anything for God. But in the process of time, maybe they got in trouble. Maybe they had some problems with their marriage. Maybe they got sick. Maybe they lost a job, whatever it might be. But in the process of time, that dream began to fade. Did God change his mind about you and I? Does God change his mind about how he feels about us? No. We change our minds. Amen. We are our worst critics, you and I. You and I are our worst critics. I'm telling you, you don't need nobody to talk about you because you talk about yourself all the time. Amen. We're our worst critics when it comes to the things of God. We're the worst critics when it comes to dreams, believing God for things. I want to tell you, the dream only becomes a memory, amen, when you let it become a memory. I know God's got good things for this fellowship. I know God's got good things for my life. I know God, God's got good things for your life. But you know something? We give up pretty easy. I bet you if I walked around the streets of Denton right now and just randomly pick people and say, hey, 
Uh, you know about Jesus? A lot of people would say, hey, I was a Christian. I knew the Lord, but, but, you know, I got offended. Whoa, big whoopee. Everybody gets offended. Everybody's such a crybaby nowadays in the church. You say something wrong and they're whining and crying and leaving. Amen. You know, people can't take things anymore. Most of the time, I can't believe how, how, how in America, how crybaby people are when it comes to the things of God. Listen, the, the old church, man, they were persecuted. They were beaten and mocked and spit upon and imprisoned and sawed in two and, I mean, hung and crucified. Nobody here shedding blood for Jesus right now. But yet, if the pastor don't shake your hand, if they don't ask you to take an offering or if they, or maybe, you know, I don't know, they start church without you, we have a hizzy fit. Am I right? We've all been crybabies for Jesus. Come on. There's a powerful story in, of a young, or actually not a young man, but an older man by the name of Zacchaeus, and it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Zacchaeus had prayed for years, years and years. He, he said, God, give us a son. God, give us a child. And he prayed. His wife prayed. They got, they got, they got along in years, you know, and they kind of started giving up on that dream. I mean, in the process of time, not only had he given up on that dream, I believe he stopped, stopped praying about it. Because he went about the daily affairs of the ministry and all that he was doing, and he had forgot that God had given him a promise. And so in Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 11, he's in the temple. He's doing his duty as a priest. And, and the Bible says, and when Zacchaeus saw him, let me back up a little bit. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacchaeus saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacchaeus, or Zacharias, I'm sorry, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you'll call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he'll also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will also uh, and he will also go before him before Jesus in the spirit and in the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, "How shall I know this? For I am I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years." And this is this is the this is the, the mind blower of this story. And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel. Amen? What's wrong with you? Who stands in the presence of God. He knew who was standing there. He knew an angel was standing there. And he's asking, well, how's this going to be? And then he says, and behold, you will, this is what he says to him. I was sent to you to bring you these glad tidings, but behold, you're going to be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. The angel responded to his unbelief. <coughs> he said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. You know, uh, when, I was, when I was growing up uh, as a kid, I'm, I'm not any different than a lot of people. I didn't have a father when I was growing up. So I didn't have any, any, uh, any male figures, any, any, any uh, positive role models, men-wise. So, I mean, all they were all drunks. No, you, some of you know my story, but when I was about 8 to 10 years old, I was, I was real small for my age, and, uh, and my mother, man, she, um, it's funny, because I, I had a younger brother. He ended up being like 6'3", 250, and I don't know what happened. I, he ate, I ate Wheaties, he ate 
Rice Krispies, I don't know what happened. But, but anyway, they took me to the hospital and they wanted, to, this was in the 1960s, they wanted to give me hormone shots. They were experimenting at that time with hormone shots. I don't know if anybody knew that. They, they were shooting kids up, you know, trying to see if it would work and make people grow. And, and, uh, but, that, but I remember, I can remember vividly standing around a bunch of doctors and my mother and, 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 them, and them going back and forth talking about, well, this, thing, this side effect could happen, that side effect could happen. And then they asked me, what did I, how did I feel? I was a little, when I was born, I had a little red hair, amen. I was always a spitfire from the, from, the, from, the, from the jump. So they asked me how I felt. And I told them, and I wasn't saved, never been in church. I mean, my family didn't know God. They didn't have any, any I didn't have any reference. But it's funny, man. Even the Bible itself says that whether you were raised in church or not, there's something in every human being that has a desire to know God that acknowledges God. It's only the atheists that tell you there's no God. Amen. And so they asked me, what do you want to see happen? What do you want? I mean, do you want these shots? And I said, no. And they said, why? I said, because God made me this way. And if he made me this way, this is how I'm supposed to be. And then we left that place. It was, the, it was a, a place that was like the Mayo Clinic, amen? So be, because, because of this, you know, because I was always told, like a lot of people, that I couldn't do things. They would always tell me, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do this. Or you can't. So I became an overachiever. Are there any overachievers in here, amen? I mean, in every area of life, I was want, I, if they said it couldn't be done, I'm finding a way to figure out how to do this, amen? And so I was always an overachiever, and especially in anything that had to do with the physical, amen? And so I was always trying to do different things and try to overcome different things. And so because I had no direction in my life, I started doing all kinds of crazy things, amen? I mean, I got involved in, in uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, uh, I went to college and actually didn't have a major. I don't know if anybody's ever went to college for two years and didn't have a major. That was me. They said, what do you want to do? I go, I don't know. I just need to go to college, Amen. So I'm going to college, you know, and, and I'm taking classes. I took wrestling, advanced wrestling, judo, trampoline, and English. Amen. That's what I took in my first year. And, and, and so these are the things I'm taking while I was, as I'm going to college. But I can never really figure out what in the world I, what was, what was life about? What was I supposed to do? What's my purpose? What do I need to do? I mean, I need to find something in my life. And so I decided I'm going to join the military. And, and, I, and I actually, at the time, I was living in L.A. And I, and I joined the military. I went downtown. I was going to join the Marines. And my uncle talked me out of it. I ended up joining the Army. I get into the Army. And, you know, for a lot of people, basic training is horrible. But I loved it. Because it was all about the physical. It was all about if you can do this, you know, then you get the favor of the drill sergeant. If you can do this, you get the favor of, of you know, this other one. And so it was all about, you know, how many push-ups can you do? How many sit-ups can you do? How fast you can run? How fast you can carry your weapon? How good of a shot you were? And because I'm like a lot of young men in this generation that, that have a low self-esteem, that are always trying to, 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 you know, prove themselves to people. That's why we got a lot of young men in America today that are getting in gangs because they want to, they're looking for that uh, sense of, uh, of, of self-worth. They want to be accepted. They're looking for something. They'll tell you because they lived in the hood and I became a gang member. Well, that's fine, but the real deal is you're looking for acceptance. Everybody inside you there's something in you that wants to be accepted we say i hate everybody i don't want nothing to do with anybody i hate all that's a lie right. because if that was the case amen you wouldn't be trying to please everybody right. Right. am i telling the truth but that's how human nature is so in basic training man i did all these things you know i i, I did really good i love basic training at the very end of the basic training though they had this obstacle course how many been in the military 
And, there, and there's an obstacle course at the end of the basic training. This was when they used to be able to beat you up in basic. Amen. Today they hold up a stress card. So if, if you're stressed out and, and, they, and the drill sergeant's yelling at you, you know you can hold up a card and say, I'm stressed out. Amen. Stop yelling at me. We, got, we turned our military into a bunch of sissies. Amen. But back then, if they didn't like me, they'd take me out in the corner and lump me up. Amen. So it made for better soldiers. But at the end, they had this, uh, this, uh, this obstacle course. It had 13, 1,000 to 1,300 men in the battalion. And I took second, man, in the, bata in the battalion, amen, in the obstacle course. Because I was little, you know, I could go fast, you know, over everything and all that. But I tell you what, at the end, the drill sergeant, he was one of the few men in my life, man, back then that actually said something positive to me. And he said, if I had to go to war, I would rather go with you than all the rest of these guys. And I remember thinking, okay, here's my purpose in life. I'm meant to be in the military. This is what, this is what I need to do. This is why I was born. But, but as time began to progress and the years began to go by, I realized, man, the military, that's, you know, somebody might like you here, but over here, somebody else don't like you. Somebody over here is giving you all the praise, giving you awards, but somebody over here, they can't stand you. And after four years, I got dishonorably discharged out of the military. Part of it probably could have been the fact that I got arrested 26 times. But, you know, besides that, <clears throat> it was being an idiot. Amen. <laughs> but in the military, I was the most lonely, insecure, unfulfilled man in the military. I had no direction. I'd act, I actually, I did not know what, what, what my life, what, what the meaning of life was. Why was I born? And one day, man, I was in front of a liquor store with some guys, and, and we were all walking into the liquor store, and I was, I was the last guy, and there was this one guy standing there, and he's passing out tracks like this. And everybody that walks by is giving them a track. So all the guys I was with, they just walk right by. But I, I stopped. Because there's still something in me that had a desire. You know, what is this? And he hands it to me and he starts telling me about Jesus. The minute this guy started telling me about Jesus, man, I felt this presence come over me like a, like a, I mean, goosebumps came from the top of my head all the way through my body. I felt a presence. And he began to tell me what Jesus did on the cross and, and how he shed his precious blood that he's always loved me and he's always had a purpose for my life and that he always wanted to do something in my life. And I was deaf. They went into the liquor store to get liquor. I stayed out with this guy. And then while they're in there, he asked me the question. And no one had ever asked me that. That's the problem with the Christianity today. The Mormons and the Muslims and the, and the Jehovah Witnesses are out witnessing us. Amen. So this guy, he, he asked me, he says, would you like to pray? And I, what do I pray? He said, you can accept Christ right now and be saved. I said, I can. I want to pray. And so right there, while they're in there getting liquor, we prayed and I, and I accepted Christ. When I prayed with that guy, I felt something lift off me. I felt like something came out of me and it lifted off of me. And when my friends came back outside, the problem is, though, he didn't tell me what to do. He really didn't. I didn't know what to do. He didn't even tell me to go to church. He just prayed with me. And so when he prayed with me, my friends came out and they said, well, what are you doing? What happened? I said, I got saved. <laughs> and they said, well, what's that? I go, I'm not quite sure. They said, well, let's go party. So we went and got drunk. Amen. <laughs> but it took another five years before I finally ran into a real Christian who actually explained to me to serve God. You know, you can't put needles in your arm and drink alcohol and all that. Amen. So what happens, though, when the dream dies? When, the, when, when, when you've been believing God for a certain thing and, 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 it, and it kind of fades away. And that happens a lot in ministry. 
It happens a lot with a lot of the men that we have because they have these aspirations of preaching the gospel one day. They want to do something for God. Maybe they want to go into prisons or they want to do something for the Lord. But things aren't lining up the way they want to see those things line up. And they become disillusioned and discouraged. And so in the process of time, they become like this man, Zacharias. And, and they say, ah, maybe God's given up on me. You see, the Bible says something very powerful. He says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Yeah. The other day I was thinking about when God called me to preach. It was, a, it was in a building, uh, you know, at that time, I was still on probation. Uh, I had just got finished with a court, uh, going to court, facing 8 to 16 years in prison. As a matter of fact, they, uh, as everybody in the church, the way they knew me is because my picture was on television, the radio, and in the newspaper, man, all in one week, you know. And so uh, when I first got saved, and so... Whenever anybody back then would talk about doing something for God, I was always the last on the list. You know, I don't know why people are like that. But, but I remember, man, when, when I felt that God called me to preach, I was at an altar. And the pastor said, do you feel the call of God in your life that one day God could use you to do something for him? And, and I leaned over to a guy that I was with. I'd been saved maybe six months. And I said, am I called to preach? That's how insecure I was. He goes, yeah, yeah, you're called. He didn't know. That's my, I should know that. <laughs> Amen. So I went to the altar and, 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 but I want to tell you the truth. For the longest time, for five years straight, I was so unsure that God really wanted to do something in my life. That God actually had a purpose for my life. And everything that I did in life, whether trying to start a business, whatever I had put my hand to, there was always this sense of insecurity inside of me. This part of me that said, you're not worthy. This part of me that said, it'll never happen. Maybe for that person, but not this person. And it took a long time for me to realize that, that God's not like that. God's not on your Facebook. He's not one of your Facebook friends. Amen. And you know, I got a friend. Well, I don't know if I want to call him a friend, an acquaintance. I, I prayed with this guy. His name's Anthony Provost. He played for the Raiders. Uh, and I went to California to preach a revival for a guy. And they brought this guy in, man. And he's actually, at the time, he was playing for the Raiders. This was last year. And now he, he transferred over to the Texans, the, uh, yeah, Houston Texans. I don't know if he's played yet because uh, this guy's brilliant. You talk about a guy with a low self-esteem. Here's a man that joined the military, joined the Navy, and when he joined the Navy, he, his high, IQ was so high that uh, the, uh, the Annapolis College came to him in basic training and pulled him out of basic training and took him to Annapolis. And then when he got there, he played football for the Navy for several years. He was a star football player. Everywhere he went, he excelled in everything that he did. He had no father growing up, though. Then, then, then he, he ends up getting into a professional football. He plays for the Raiders. And, 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 then, and then whatever he put his hands to, it seems like the door would always open for him. But on the inside, he was the most insecure man I've ever met in my life. And so he's playing for the Raiders. The next thing you know, he, he's texting me. Uh, when I left California, uh, I gave him my, my phone number. I have his phone number. Did you know, man, in the year and a half since I seen him, he's not called me one time, but all he does is text. Text. Amen. That's the generation we live in today. He texts me. If I have, I can get my phone and show you. The FBI got a hold of him. Homeland Security, they want to know if he wants to be an FBI agent now. I told my wife, I said, maybe he should stop texting me if he wants to be an FBI agent. Amen. Because they're going to start doing background checks and find out, you know that guy. But I mean, all these people, man, are all these people want him. They want him. And, and to top that off, when he was in the Navy, he became a top-ranked Navy SEAL, a diver. And he was, he became, he was an officer. 
And they actually made a, the Navy made a poster of him. I have it on my phone. It's a poster of just him. He was the first African-American Navy SEAL diver officer I mean, ever. And here this guy, he's got all this potential. He's got all these things going for him. But all his, all his hopes and all his dreams are wrapped around what people think about him. And so the other day he texts me and tells me some actor, some guy, some actor, I forget the actor's name, is following his Facebook or whatever. And he's all excited about it. And I thought, here's a guy, man, that could do something for God. Because I prayed with him that day. He gave his life to the Lord. But he doesn't understand that God's got something much better for him than the FBI, than the SEALs, than the football, whatever it might be. God has something very powerful for him. But he can't see that. He can't see past the fact that he wants the approval of everybody around him. He wants everybody to like him. You know, can I tell you, people aren't always going to like you. Amen. Amen. And maybe they, in that old song, uh, smile on your face, then stab you in the back, amen, when you're not looking. I mean, you might be surprised. Be careful when you walk up on conversations and they look at you like this. Just, just act like you didn't even hear it and keep walking, amen. You might be surprised what people say about you. Really, what you need to be concerned about is what God says about you. Can you say amen? In Ezekiel chapter, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, you guys know this story. God brought Ezekiel to a place and he's trying to show him something. He's trying to teach him something. And in chapter 37, verse 1, listen to this. He says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And so I answered, O Lord, you know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and, sh and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and bones came together, bone to bone. And indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over and there was no breath in them. And he said, prophesy to the breath. He said, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So as I, as I was, as he commanded me, breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now I want you to see something here with me, amen? Uh, God brought Ezekiel to an impossible place. This was a very impossible place. It was, it was a valley with, full of death. It was a valley of broken dreams. It was a valley of shattered visions. It's amazing to me. I read once that the, that, that the, the, the place where there are the greatest uh, setbacks and the greatest broken dreams and heartache is a cemetery. Imagine raising all the people up in a cemetery and asking them, what did you want to do with your life? Did you actually accomplish what you were supposed to do? Did you accomplish what God wanted you to do? And you'd be surprised. How many people feel they failed? How many feel they, 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 didn't, they didn't arrive? You know, recently they asked Billy Graham, they said, uh, do you have any regrets? And he does, he's got regrets. Here's a guy in our generation that has probably reached more people than any one man in this generation, and yet he's got regrets. His regrets, I wish I prayed more. 
I wish I was a better father. Or I wish I was this. And so, you know, we feel that we're the only ones that struggle with these insecurities. And I'm here to tell you, it's a part of human nature to be like that. But when you put your focus on what Jesus did on the cross, when I take my eyes off of what people think or what I think I should be or what I, all these other things, and I just focus on what Jesus did for me, life is, life is exciting. Life is awesome. Amen? Life is, a, life is a, like, what's his name said? It's a bowl of cherries. Amen? What's that guy's name? Forrest. There was absolutely no hope in the valley. Amen? Hope had long been gone. And God asks Ezekiel this question. I want to ask you the question. Can these bones live? Can they live again? Whether you're a Christian or not, it seems as though we all come to the place of dry bones. Now listen to what I'm saying. We all, all our human efforts fail. All our selfish dreams, sometimes they fall apart. I mean, I, some, some of the things that we want to do in life, they, they, they just, they, they fall apart right in front of our faces. And we say, man, I, I don't know why that didn't work. Amen. But I want to ask you this. Have you ever been in that kind of a valley? And I want to tell you, no amount of counseling, no self-help programs, no medication, no Facebook friends, nothing, I'm telling you, absolutely nothing can change that except God himself. Amen. You ever felt like a failure as a parent? I have. You ever felt like a failure as a husband? Or maybe as a wife, you ever felt like a failure? How about as a Christian? Ever felt like, man, I just can't, I just can't be like so-and-so. I'm just not as, you know, and I, I've had people tell me that, well, I'm just not like that, or I just can't do that. You know, once Pastor Paul, years and years ago when he was a teenager, everybody expects him to be just like his dad. Pastor Jones is one of the most unique prophets of God, man, that uh, you'll ever meet. Amen. He is a, he is a true apostle. Amen. And there ain't, there's very few left in this generation. And yet, you know, they want him because he's his old eldest son to live up to his expectations. And one time he just came to me. He says, I can't be like my dad. This is years ago. I can't preach like my dad. I can't do that. Today's the assistant pastor. He pastored a successful church in Africa that runs over about six, seven hundred people. He pastored a successful church in Greeley, Colorado. Now he's his dad's right hand man. And he's a great preacher. You ever felt like a failure? And then God shoots up on the scene and says, can these bones live again? He says, can they live again? Can it happen? I'm here to tell you it can happen. Ezekiel, of course, didn't know. And he responded with, you know, Lord. And he says, tell these dry bones, tell these broken dreams, tell these shattered visions, hear the word of the Lord. Why do you stop praying about what you feel that God wants you to do. Why'd you stop praying about it? You stopped praying about it because you gave up. You said, it's just not going to happen. I'm here to tell you, it can happen. The problem is you and I, we want to do things according to our time frame and our, we want God to do it within the parameters of, you know, oh God, you got this much time. I'm getting older now. God, you got this much time. You know, I got to go here. I got to go there. But God doesn't operate like that. And he said in verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I want to tell you, when God gets involved, hope comes alive again. 
I said, hope comes alive again, man. When God begins to speak into, the, into our broken lives, I mean, it's like old memories of past victories will come back. Seemingly uh, lost promises come alive again in you, amen? And you start thinking, man, man, is this possible again? Can this happen again? When we were driving through that, that city uh, yesterday, we actually went there early in the morning, and, uh, and, and we were just going to drive around, check out the city. I, I, there are, there's, you know, you start going through somewhere like that, and you start doing the pro and con thing. That's not how God does it, though, amen? I said, they haven't got a transportation system. Uh, they don't have, uh, well, you know, they don't got this, they don't got that, and they don't got this. Well, but they do got this, they do got that, and they got some good barbecue, amen? And, uh, but you know something? That's not how God operates. And as we're driving through that city, me and my wife are talking, and we're stopping, and we meet people. And, I, and, you know, whenever I go somewhere, I want to witness to people. So I stopped, and I gave a guy a track, and he was the most excited. He was so excited. And I say, hey, man, Jesus loves you, man. He, he cares about you. He's got a plan for your life. He goes, really? And, man, that just messed me all up. Amen. I said, this place needs Jesus. Amen. Did God change his mind about you? Absolutely not. You change your mind about you. Maybe you failed in marriage. My mother was married five to six times. I don't know what, the, what it was. It was either five or six. Amen. She didn't need to ever be married. Amen. She's a little redhead, cuss like a truck driver. But... She didn't need to be married. But let me tell you something. Maybe you failed in marriage. What does that mean? You can never be married? Absolutely not. Amen? Maybe you failed as a parent or you feel like a failure. You know what Pastor Jones said to me once and it helped me. It's always helped me. He said, Richard, there are no failures in the kingdom of God. There are only learners. I went out and I pastored a church in, uh, in Great Falls, Montana. Uh, it's like, if you ever look it on the map, it's a speck by Canada. Amen? And what a trippy place. What a weird place. Amen. And my wife and I, we go there and, and uh, I mean, it was just like the total opposite. People are different than me, you know. I'm out mowing the lawn in front of the church and people are driving by waving at me. And I'm saying, what's wrong with him? What's these people waving at me for, man? Amen. Because everybody's really friendly in small towns, you know. I mean, it was just a different place for my wife and I. We lasted about a year and a half and I shut that church down. And I felt like I failed. I said, man, I failed. Man, I thought I was called to preach. I, I come back home for about six months. I'm feeling like a failure. I told my wife, if it wasn't for people, we could have revival. Yeah. You'll get that in a minute. Right. Amen. <laughs> you know, if it was bad. people. Yeah. Then I get back and some church opens up and he says, hey, there's another church over there. And we need a pastor there. And if you know Pastor Jones, he started singing some song to me. He's from the country. He said, on the road again. Got to get on the road again and shoot my wife back out the door again. And I thought, you know what? And that's that day he told me, he said, Richard, there's no failures in the kingdom of God. There's no, if you're saved, there's no failures. Amen. If you're learning how to be a better parent, if you're learning how to be a better wife or a better husband, a better Christian, a better minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a better person. Listen, we're all in that. We're all uh, being formed and shaped and God's working with us. You're never going to arrive. There's nobody in this place is where they need to be. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm, on the, I'm in the process. I'm heading in a forward direction, amen? I don't want to be like Zachariah and say, oh, I give up. When you give up, man, that's it. When you, when you cast out, the, there's no more dreams, there's no more vision, there's no more believing God. A man and a woman that has no dream, a man and a woman that loses the vision, I'm telling you, they just, they just sit in a seat. What's the, the purpose of life? You lose the meaning of life. And then you're like, the, the, what becomes important to you? You know, going to the goodwill. Uh, you know, uh, drinking tea. I mean, there's nothing in life worth living. I, 
I, I, when I grew up in California, you know, a lot of times in the summertime, there'd be people sitting out in the front of their house in a couch. They got a couch in the middle of the lawn, you know, and they're out there playing dominoes, you know, and I'm thinking, that's the purpose of life. Is that where I'm going to be when I'm old man? I'm going to sit out in front and play dominoes, man, with another old man and drink white pork or Mad Dog 2020? Is that what I want to do with my life? No, that's not what I want to do with my life. I want God to do something in my life. I don't know what I can do, amen? But I'm here to tell you that God's got a plan. He says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. God's got a plan for your kids, man. I'm here to tell you, your kid might be out on the street drugging and gangbanging and acting crazy, but God's got a plan. He's going to get a hold of them. He ain't going to let them continue to do what they're doing. You think, well, God, why ain't you moving? God is moving, amen? Let God do his thing. You stop, you keep praying. You keep believing God. Don't be like Zechariah, amen? When the angel finally shows up, he freaked out. You know what he's like? He's like a lot of Christians that come to the altar for prayer, right? And they come to the altar for prayer and they get healed and then they're all freaked out that they got healed. I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. But you just came to the altar for prayer and you say you believe in God for a healing, you ought to just say, oh yeah, I knew that, amen? Right, you walk away, I'm healed. But I can't believe, isn't it blow your mind, man? People come up and they're, they're all full of faith. You believe God? Yes, I believe God. God's gonna heal me, hallelujah. Then they get healed and they're freaked out, amen? They can't believe it, that for three weeks, amen? But I'm here to tell you, God's a healer. Amen. I wanna ask you guys this. Can this marriage really be healed? Can you really get the, get the victory over your depression? Absolutely. I know what depression is like. I know what it's like to get low, low. So low that nothing brings you back. You feel like you're going to die. I know that feeling. I felt that feeling at my son's funeral. Sitting there with all these people, all these people who came to, to, to pay their respects. Hundreds of people came to pay their respects. And there's my son, my 17-year-old son in a casket, and I have to get up and speak. You talk about depression. You talk about, you know, here's something that I recently come to the conclusion. When, some, when a child loses a parent or loses their parents, they become an orphan. When a woman loses her husband, she becomes a widow. But there is no term for losing a child. There is no terminology in the English language when you lose a kid. And if you lost a kid, it's like, it's like you want to give up. You don't want to live. I know what it's like to want to die. Amen. But I realize it took me some time to realize that that's not the place that God wants for us. And that people in life, I'm not putting this on anybody, but things happen in life. Struggles and heartache. Sometimes... A, a divorce can feel like losing some, someone when you're when you're been married and, and and all of a sudden there's this separation because it's so painful because the Bible says the two become one flesh not just physically but spiritually they become one flesh you become one with that person that's why divorce is so devastating and, and it's so devastating not only to the individuals that are divorced but to the children so my mother, you know, when she divorces, she kept marrying and divorcing and marrying and divorcing. She's doing it because she's self-centered and selfish. She finally got saved. Thank God for that. And, uh, but, but, uh, but she didn't realize what she was doing to us, the insecurity. 
me and my brother, we said, we're never getting married. That's crazy. Why should we get married? Why? And you, you, we could have no example of anybody that actually stays married. What's the purpose of it? So she can take all your money when she leaves? What? I, I was like, I ain't never getting married. And then that woman ambushed me back there. Amen. That's another story. I want to read this. In Jeremiah 29, 11, 11 through 13, he said, listen to this. This is a promise to you guys. You listen to this. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. But I failed. But I made a mistake. He said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He said, then you'll call upon me. And then he, he, one scripture says, God t bends his ear down like this. He, he says, my ear is bent and I'm listening for your prayer. Amen. Sometimes our prayers, all they are is a bunch of slobbing and crying and moaning and, and, and because we don't even know what to say. Right. Have you ever been there? You're praying, you don't even know words, you don't have words to speak. All you can do is, listen, God interprets that. The Holy Spirit interprets that. He knows exactly what's going on. And I'm here to tell you, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Amen. You know, some of you, you're called, to, you're called to be in the ministry and you've given up on that call. I want to remind you what Romans 11 and 29 says. He says, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And that word in, in the NLT, he said, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Right. Ever. No one can withdraw that gift. But you don't understand, I failed. Who hasn't? You don't understand, I, I betrayed the Lord. I feel like Peter. Who hasn't? Amen? You know, you know, what, you know what? There's an old saying that if you, if, you, if, you, uh, if you get back up, you can't lose. I don't know, I don't know you guys, if you ever fought, you boxed or anything like that. But, you know, getting knocked down means nothing. Amen? It's not the size of the dog. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Amen? I've seen a lot of little dogs beat the snot out of big dogs. Amen? And some of you in here, you're, if you feel like a little dog, amen? Well, it's a bummer you're a dog, but that's what we, we're like. Amen? That's what it said in the book of Psalms. He says, Lord, I'm a worm. Amen? <laughs> but I want to tell you something. I want God to do something in my life. God's not done with me. God want, God's not done with you. <clears throat> God's not done with your life. God has a purpose and a plan. He may, have to, he may have to take you through a few things. He may have to maneuver his way. There might be some things in your life that God's trying to weed out of your life, things that he's not pleased with. But that doesn't mean that God hates you or God wants to fry you. God has a plan for your life. And not everything that you and I do is productive as a believer. And there are things that we do, man, that, 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 can, that can get in the way of the plan of God. But that, doesn't, that simply does not change the fact that God loves you. And that God has a plan for your life. He's not pleased with some of the things we do. Listen, if you really love the Lord, if you really love Jesus, and you really want to do something for God, the Bible says in the book of John, he says, if you love me, he says, keep my commandments. It's the hardest scripture in the word of God. He says, Richard, if you love me, keep my commandments. But God, I just failed this morning. I got angry with this person and I, I did this or said that. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's a process. It's a process. It's something that God's always working out in us. He's trying to things out in our lives. I'm here to tell you this morning that God's got a plan for your life. Amen. And you may not be at the place where you think you should be, but he's taking you there. I want to close with this story. Um, you might have heard this before. It's called the three trees. Uh, so he said, once upon a time on a mountaintop, three little trees stood and dreamed of what they wanted to become when they grew up. 
The first little tree, he looked up at the stars. He said, man, I want to hold treasure. I want to be covered with gold and filled with precious stones. I want to be the most beautiful treasure chest in the world. The second little tree, he looked up at the, he looked down at a small stream trickling on, on its way to the ocean. He said, you know what I want to be? I, I, I want to travel the mighty waters carrying powerful kings. I want kings. I want to be a big ship, the strongest ship in the world. The third little tree, he looked down at the valley below to see all the busy men and women working in town doing their business. And he said, I don't want to leave the mountain at all. I want to grow as tall as possible so people look up to me and they raise their eyes to heaven and they think of God. I'll be the tallest tree in the world. Years passed and the rain came, the sun shined, the little trees grew tall. One day, three woodcutters climbed the mountain. The first woodcutter looked at the first tree and he said, man, this tree is beautiful. It's perfect for me. With swoops of his shiny axe, he cut the tree down and it fell. The tree said, now I shall be made into a beautiful chest. I'll hold wonderful treasure. And the, the first tree, the, 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 uh, as, he, as, he, as he took him from the, from, the, uh, from the top of the mountain and he took him, he made him into a horse trough and put hay into it. And he said, my dream is lost. Another woodcutter went up to the top of the mountain and he saw this other tree. Perfect tree, he said. With a swoop of his axe, he came and he felled the tree and the tree fell. He took that tree to the shipyard and he thought, this is it. They're going to make me into a ship. But when he got there, he made him into a little piro, a little tiny boat. I mean, a little bitty boat that could barely, barely cross a lake and then put him on the side of the shore. And he thought he lost his dreams. The third tree, somebody came up and and he's standing tall, and these guys came up. He said, no, don't cut me down, don't cut me down. Whoosh, fell, took him down. But he took him and threw him into the lumber yard, into a pile of wood. All three thought they lost their dreams. For three, I'm talking many years, these trees thought they had uh, lost their dreams. And then one evening, two fishermen and a strange man got into this little Piro boat, amen, and went out into the lake. Storm came and the winds blew and looked like the ship was going to sink or that little boat was going to sink. And that one man stood up and he said, peace be still to the storm. And that little boat, man, realized he was carrying the king of kings. Sometime before that, in a little, little barn, amen, with hay and horse poop all around and cow manure everywhere. Somebody came and took a little baby and sat him in that little manger. And he realized, man, I got the, the king of kings, the greatest treasure of all, the greatest treasure more than gold and silver and diamonds and gold. And, and finally, that last little tree, amen, one day they picked him up from the lumber yard and he couldn't understand what was going on. People were screaming and yelling and they put, the, put him on top of the shoulders of some man who was bleeding and he said blood was all over him and they took him to the top of a hilling and they took a man and they nailed him to his tree. And as, he's, as he looked up to heaven, he said he realized that he had the greatest gift nailed to him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know... 1 Corinthians 1 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. To a lot of people, they say, You guys, man, you, you go to that church. You know, you, you're trying to believe God for this. You're believing God for that. 
and they'll, and they'll make fun of you. They'll mock you. Say, ah, you're crazy. <clears throat> but what happens, man, when they're in trouble? What happens when your coworkers and your family are having problems? Who do they call? They call you. Because in their heart of hearts, they know that you got the answer. And you know what the crazy thing is? Is they know you got the answer, but a lot of times you don't think you have the answer. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you're called. You don't feel like you're, you've met up to the standard that you need to be as a believer. You don't you feel like you're where you need to be. And I'm here to tell you, listen, if you, if you study the word of God and you get to look at some of these men that God picked, when he picked those fishermen, they were the most unruly, foul-mouthed. Amen. They said the fishermen of that generation, were, they were men's men. These guys were gruff. They were the guys that went to the bar and did bar fights. Amen. These were guys that were, these guys were rough. And he picked these men. He picked a physician. He's the only guy that had a job, I think, besides fishermen. He picked, he picked prostitutes. He picked, he picked people that were the nobodies of that generation. Everywhere he went, he picked a woman caught in the act of adultery. He picked people, man, that everybody else in society would have kicked to the curb. But see, God doesn't get glory from picking perfect people. There are no perfect people. They just don't know that. Amen. I'm here to tell you that God's got a plan for your life and that plan's a lot bigger than you. And you just can't say, well, I just give up on my plan because life is bigger than you. Amen. Amen. God's got a plan for your life and that plan involves lots of people. That plan involves lots and lots of people's destinies is surrounded around what you do, what you say, where you go, how you live for God. You just can't do what you want, say what you want and act the way you want. You're, you're, the Bible calls you and I ambassadors for God. We are ambassadors for the King of Kings. I'm not an ambassador for, for America. I'm not an ambassador for Britain. I'm not an ambassador for Africa. I'm an ambassador for the creator of the heavens and the earth. The great I am. Amen. That's who we're ambassadors for. It doesn't make a difference what the world thinks. Jesus said the world's going to hate you. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Well, does that make you sad because the world hates you? Because they unfriended you in Facebook? Does that make you sad? Amen. Listen, you need real friends, people you can touch, people that's not going to steal your wife or your husband, people that are actually going to love on you, pray for you, be there for you. Amen? I'm telling you, God's got a plan for every single one of you in this room right now. Teenager, he's got a plan. Old person, he's got a plan. Ain't no old people in here. You're just moving along. Amen? And, and God's got a plan. But you can't give up on that plan. Don't be like Zacharias and say, well, God's given up. I'm just going to throw the towel in. That's not happening. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I'm not giving up on it. Amen. Amen. How many are still with me? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's say everybody stand again just for a minute if you would. You know, many times <clears throat> you guys don't realize when somebody comes to preach for you or when your pastor preaches, Sometimes, sometimes we preach from life experience because we're the ones that did the terrible thing or we're the ones that feel like that. Why do I preach like that? Because I feel like I missed my destiny before. Because I felt like a failure as a father, as a husband. Because I felt like a failure as a, as a minister of the gospel. And I, and I remember thinking, God Almighty, why are you so patient why are you so merciful why do you care like the psalmist i can't i can't when i come across it every time i come across it i have to stop and meditate on it he said god when i think of the sun the moon the stars and all of your creation why do you care about us why we're such a speck 
When you think about the, 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 the vastness of the galaxy, scientists today are just barely, barely scratching the surface of how, how far the galaxy, they, they can't find the end. They don't know where, where it came from. There's all this speculation. Sometimes it's a joke. You know, well, this planet has been here for 14 million trillion. How in the world do you know? You don't even know what happened last week. Amen. And you're going to say you're going to. But I'm here to tell you the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who put the sun, the moon and the stars in their proper place, the God who named every star, the innumerable stars, the God who created man, the God who sent his only son to the cross to die for our sins. That God cares about you. That God has a plan for your life. That God's got a purpose for your life. And when you look at it in that context, us being so tiny, so small. Recently, I was reading about the size of the planet Earth. We think how big this planet is. There are planets that are 100 times bigger than the planet Earth. And then I got to reading a little bit more and found out that there are planets that are thousands of times bigger than that other planet. And there are planets thousands of times bigger than the other planets, planets, planet. In other words, it's beyond our, our, cap our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension. And yet in these huge, massive, vast of space, come down and just little old us. We're so small and tiny, but yet God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. You know who what you and I are? We're God's crowning achievement. And you know, here we are, we're God's crowning achievement, but yet we fight with each other over who's, who's lighter, who's darker, who's, who's taller, who's shorter. That's how, that's how humanity does. We fight, but God's a God of creativity. It's impossible that God would make one, one size, one color, amen? He's a God of variety. He's, there's different types of people. Did you know, man, that you are so different that there is nobody that's ever been created like you, nor is there anyone that will ever be like you. You are the most unique person on the planet. You, there will never be anyone like you again. In your DNA, the way that you are, there be similarities, of course, but you are a unique being created in the image of God. And when you look at it in that context, I want to tell you, man, it makes me feel very special. It makes me feel with all my faults and all my failures and all my setbacks in life, God's not giving up on me, man. And God's not giving up on you.